Thank you for listening to the Bend ICOC podcast. Printing press, we have the Word of God right in front of us. We're called to do the same thing of impressing the Word of God upon our hearts. Um, you know, back in these times, uh, they took that very literally with uh, memorizing the Scripture. The entire Torah, by the time they were 12, if they were going into academics, they'd memorized it. Years after years after years of memorization. And so I love it. As we come along in our modern day, uh, that relationship, it only gets more and more intimate, more and more personal between us and God. So how do we cultivate that? One ingredient is the quiet time. Um, and, and where does that word quiet time come from? It's probably 7,500 years ago it popped up among campus ministries and InterVarsity, Campus Crusade, etc. for what people were already doing, going to God in the morning. Yeah. Um, but more so in that time, about 100 years ago, they're going to God in the morning and they're just praying and they're kind of asking for things, a big list of things. So they said, no, let's call it a quiet time because you need to listen. It needs to be a time where God is speaking to you, where you're looking at his word. Because that's how God speaks to us. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, it, was, it went around and it spread like wildfire. I think uh, Billy Graham picked it up and went national. We have quiet times. So while that phrase quiet time isn't in the Bible, of course, we can define it pretty well. There's some awesome scriptures, awesome characters in the Old Testament that live out this impressing upon their hearts. Um, and, and often we have to meet those characters with our excuses. Say, how did they make it through the situation? Think of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, um, willing to go to the lion's den. Because he said, I'm going to pray to God three times a day. Even though a decree went out and said, we're going to throw you in prison. Uh, he said, no, I'm going to keep doing this. David, we, we see him in Psalms 1 saying that he's going to meditate on God's word day and night. And that meditating is more than just thinking about it, but it is memorizing it, speaking it out loud. Uh, you know, sometimes I have the excuse of being too tired in the morning. And I thought about this one as I was waking up. David says in Psalms uh, 57, 8, he exclaims, Awaken my soul, I will awaken the dawn. And I thought, yeah, I, I hope the dawn would come out right now. I wanted to awaken so I can have this quiet time. So we have to be alert and sober-minded if we're going to have intimacy. Am I right? Or can you have an intimacy if you're half asleep? Uh. Yeah. Uh, Psalms 119, 18. It says, open my eyes to your word. Sometimes the word might be a little boring to me. Maybe, I, maybe I've read this chapter, this book before. Uh, maybe I've been a disciple for years and years and it seems a little boring. I need to pray to God to open my eyes to his word again. Uh New Testament, we have our quiet times. And, you know, I hope not to rattle off too many scriptures. I'm kind of in my first point right here, just establishing the methods of quiet times, the, the habits of quiet times, how we set this up. You know, I think in the second point, though, we have to address the heart. Because there's a million different applications we could have for quiet time. And it's the heart of what matters. That's what's going to get us through it. Yeah. And, and, you know, the third point is the results. So what, what happens if we have these quiet times? Will that cultivate intimacy with Christ or not? And, of course, Christ adds on that dimension of intimacy. What does he say about quiet times in the New Testament? Yeah. He rose early before it was dark, went off to the mountainsides, went to places of retreat. He prioritized it, this dependence on the Father that empowered his ministry. And I almost think it's a dual thing with Jesus. He said, you know, either go to the mountainside where you can be in nature and you can connect with God, or go to your closet. You know, if you're the type of person that wants to pray on the street corners, and if it's become a show for you that you've memorized all of this, then just go into your closet, you know, only you and God. And 
so he prioritizes relationship and intimacy with God in the quiet time. It wasn't just about memorizing a bunch of scripture. And that's what we have to get out of it, too. You know, I think it was even Jesus, it was so important to him, it was one of the things that led to his downfall. We read in uh, John 18, verses 1 and 2, that when Judas betrayed him, he said, oh, I know where to find Jesus because he frequents the gardens when he goes into the city. He escapes with his disciples. I know we can go there and arrest him because Jesus will be there praying. And, you know, I have to ask myself that question. Would, if somebody was going to arrest me for following Jesus, would they know Joey's going to be up at 5 a.m. at that coffee shop and we'll arrest him there? Or would my quiet times yeah. be a little more sporadic and across the board? Mm. Jesus is willing to go to the cross even though he knew they were going to arrest him right there and, mm -hmm. yes, have this quiet time. But, mm. hey, he's the Son of God. He had to do it. So over in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 15. Go to his words right here. I'll even give it a running start, verse 11. It says, uh, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Verse 14, For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. I think in the, in the heart of a quiet time, you know, I, I can definitely talk about where I've gone wrong. Uh, where I was not remembering my obligation in the quiet time is right here. This sonship to Christ. This being in step with the spirit. It, is my quiet time manifesting those gifts of the Holy Spirit? Or is it more, well, I'll tell you what I was obliged to. The business of quiet times, I made it all about business. I made it all about, um, if I have my quiet time this morning, maybe I'll feel better about myself. Maybe, mm. maybe um, you know, I can check that off the list, and then that'll prove to God that I'm worthy. Uh, I went there with my quiet times once. You know, God put brothers in my life that uh, corrected that. First off, before I had brothers in my life, I probably never opened the Word of God. Um, because I, I just heard it repeated over and over again. I went to a private school, and it was told to me, and I didn't really have the strongest personal relationship. But God put a brother in my life. I'll just call him Phil. Um, Phil, um, All right, Phil. Not his real name, but, you know, he, Phil's a great guy. So Phil, he studied the Bible in, like, three days. He got baptized, super sold out, moved up to Eugene, Oregon. Um, and he moved in with me, and they said, hey, Joey, Phil's going to be your you know, your accountability partner, your discipling partner, have a one-another relationship with him. And so he moved in, and uh, he was working for the church, you know, moved up without a dime. And uh, so we're sleeping in a small bunk bed in a very small apartment, and a couple mornings go by, and his alarm goes off way earlier than my alarm goes off. You know, it's quiet time. So he says, hey, can we have a discipleship time? Can we talk? And I say, yeah, yeah. And uh, he says, you know, your quiet time, that's too short. Uh, you know, my, my immediate reaction was, well, your rent's a little short. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I had to take a step back. Uh, he was right. And it didn't set the purest motivation in me at first, but it gave me a little structure, a little scaffolding, a little help in setting the alarm clock a little earlier. You know, my, my righteousness wasn't based off the alarm clock, but it helped, right? And he helped me. Righteousness wasn't based off of this roommate, but he helped me to get yeah. into the Word of God. So then I wasn't just reading a chapter a day. Now I'm reading two chapters. No, I'm <laughs> a little more than that. But um, I had these brothers in my life, and uh, 
we took that a little far at one point even. It was great getting into the Word, but we'd hold each other accountable. And, uh, where I go to is I'm so self-sufficient at times. And at that time, I was so prideful of having an apartment and going to college and so self-sufficient. And here this guy's living with me. He's not paying rent. And it was my sin to be self-sufficient. I think God put him in my life because he was so... He was such a brother of encouragement. He was giving everything to the church. He was codependent on everyone. Uh, he dropped out of school to, and then went back later. But that's how much he wanted to give to the church. So we're kind of meeting at opposite ends of being a little off base and helping each other out with how we were off base. Um, but in my self-sufficiency, in my humanism, you know, I wasn't really letting the Word of God transform me. I, I was more letting myself transform Jesus to what I wanted. I think uh, Scout said, uh, you know, God made man in his image and man returned the favor. So we're always trying to take our prejudices, we're always trying to take our preferences and mold Jesus into that. Mm. And I'll just say right now, that's the opposite of a quiet time, where we should be letting the word mold us right. and define yeah. us. That's right. So that, that's where I went off. And, and then I even took it into my ministry, my outreach, my, um, you know, Phil and I, we go out and we evangelize across campus and we try to get guys into the word and, and you know, we'd say, are you ready to make Jesus Lord? Are you ready to be a disciple? You know, have you had your quiet times this week? No, I haven't. I haven't been reading the word. And, and my immediate reaction was not to point them towards Jesus, towards the gospel or towards that intimacy. It was, well, tell you what, I could give you some accountability. Uh, I could give you a seven day challenge. I could give you some structure. I could give you all these humanistic things, you know, I could help you form a habit. All of these things that are peripheral, that don't really last. Because after Phil moved out of my apartment, I was right back there in a slump of a week going by, two weeks going by, and I'm not in the Word, not having my quiet time. Because I didn't have that intimacy with God. <clears throat> you know, the Jews, they, they get busy throughout the day. Maybe something happened where they didn't have their time um, with the Lord in the morning, but they were able to repeat throughout the day this experience of, um, well, after Christ, Abba, Father, but before that, just Yahweh. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were able to have that intimacy in their minds and on their hearts. Because they were in the Word so much, they were able to survive without the quiet time for one day, if they are in step with the Spirit. And again, I'm crisscrossing all the New Testament right there. but. Yes, it's not about the checklist. I think that's what I'll keep repeating right here. It's what a quiet time is not. And so, you know, I have to apologize for those guys. I tried to wrestle them in the Word. I quickly saw it wasn't transforming their lives. It, it was, all I was doing was, you know, I was introducing a system to them of submission and domination. Of, hey, do what I say. And, uh, you know, that's just producing a trained coward. It's not mm. producing a wow. disciple of Christ. Um, you know, another great help, again, is um, we have our inter interdependent relationships. You know, we live out the scriptures with one another. It's over 50 one another scriptures in the New Testament. They help us to have our quiet times. It's a great help. But more important than that, there's over 150 scriptures that mention in Christ. So more so than these interdependent relationships, we have a dependent relationship on the Father. Yeah. And something Jesus is trying to set up for us. And I think Ben will flesh out a little more next week. Um, you know, in, in my marriage, I think about how to, how to measure the quiet times. And it's the same thing as how I measure my marriage in many ways. Uh, I used, it used to be about the checklist, the numbers. Uh, I used to go up to brothers, have you had your quiet time today? 
You know, what was it about? Oh, you haven't? Why? You know. And, and those are horrible questions. They're not introspective. They don't get to the heart of the matter when it's all about the heart. Come on, um, You know, I, I give my marriage 100%. I do my best. Sometimes I fail in that. But if I'm doing my best, I'm giving 100%. That's the expectation of my marriage, and that's God's expectation. Uh, it's okay to fail at the quiet time, as long as you're doing your best. Are you giving him 100%? Or are you, you know, hitting that snooze button in the morning? Um, and so I, I love Phil for being in my life, for giving me that interdependent relationship, that discipleship. But I need something a little more. I, I used to work in the U of O kitchen uh, sharpening knives, and because it would get a little boring, and I just want to sharpen knives all day, you know, 15 plus knives in a day. And, uh, you know, against the whetstone and back and forth, back and forth, repetitive motion. Um, but some knives, you know, even honing them and everything, you just can't get them back to that sharpness, especially if they're not forged right. They already have those cracks. Um, you know, if it's chipped, it's, it's no amount of sharpening is going to fix that, unless you remove a ton of metal or you completely reforge the knife right there. I think it's the same way in those relationships we have with one another. We sharpen one another's iron sharpens iron in the Bible. That's great, but it, if simultaneously we're not being forged by God, that sharpening isn't going to do anything for us. Yeah. That's what I had to realize. Um, and, and for me, I'm a thinker. I intellectualized the word. It was all about, it was as if, you know, I existed because I thought, or, you know, I think therefore I be, was the saying we had in high school. Um, so I just start asking myself these questions and measuring how am I cultivating intimacy? What am I getting out of the quiet times? Um, so for those of you who intellectualize it like me, I'd encourage you to ask this. Ask your roommates this, your spouse this, people you have one another relationship with. Um, when, when was the last time you regretted having to close your Bible and go on with the activities of the day? When was the last time you pushed yourself for sacrifice to find more time to study the Word? Uh, when was the last time through wrestling with the Scriptures you pulled yourself out of sin or out of a discouragement? And even there I say pull yourself because, you know, me, my, my sin is going towards the self-sufficient way. Um, and conversely, you know, it's getting in, sorry, forgive me for that. Those are the questions I had to ask myself. Um, Galatians 2.20, it reads, uh, if we're crucified with Christ, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Thank you. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. Come on, Joey. Come on, Joey. Great job, Joey. 1 John chapter 4, and verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and in his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they are in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence. So when I measure my quiet time, when I want to have confidence that, yes, I have intimacy with Christ, the measurement is love. We make God's love complete. No one has ever seen God. They can only see us, his disciples. So measuring my quiet times, when I'm waking up in the morning at 
I have to realize God is in me. And I make that true or I don't make that true by how I live out the gospel. If I'm letting the gospel transform my life, then it has power. If I'm not, then I'm not bearing any witness to it. You know, so introspective questions again. As we go through the week, we're measuring this love. Am I giving 100%? I think I mentioned, you know, I give 100% in my marriage. There's a saying that goes, I get 50%, my wife gets 50%. You do the math, 0.5 times 0.5, that makes 25% of a marriage, if you follow the math that direction. And it's a valid argument. God wants 100% to make it 100%. Um, but is this gospel transforming us? Uh, does it hold power? Um, are we eager to return to his word, as a deer pants for streams of water, it says in the Old Testament? So some more practical questions we can ask ourselves. What, what saddened you this past week? Was it that you neglected opportunities to, to feed a sheep to get into the Word? Was it that you realized one day maybe you didn't love God enough in a particular circumstance? Or did you get depressed over a lack of recognition, maybe a lack of friends, criticism from an authority figure, finances, your appearance? Uh, all these things make us sad and they get us down. <laughs> They don't have to if we're getting in the Word. Mm -hmm. uh, conversely, what makes you glad in this past week? Was it, uh, was it slowly praying Abba Father throughout the day? Is that what we're basing our joy off of? Was it stealing an afternoon away in your schedule with just you and the Scriptures, an hour to focus on God, or finding a garden like Jesus did? Or was it even a, even a small, minuscule victory in selfishness? Uh, even small victories, we can celebrate. We can make them our joy. We can share them with one another. Yeah. Even a small amount of hope, we can cultivate that in a greater intimacy with God for this next week. Um, or are other things giving us our joy? Is it the Super Bowl this week? Uh, is that what we're celebrating? Is it new clothes? Is it, is, it, is it a new car? Is it a movie and a pizza? Is it the next travel excursion that we're going on? All great things. But again, are we having the quiet times that really give us the joy, the love, that showing other people we love God more than anything? And I, again, it's not about the quiet time, but it's about our intimacy with God, dependence on the Father, and our interdependent relationships with one another. If people are seeing that, man, they'd love to have a quiet time. They want, they want to know what's in the water that we're drinking, am I right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if this isn't in our life, you know, again, me, Mr. Self-Sufficient, I'd always go back to Hebrews 5, and training yourself up in righteousness. And, uh, you know, milk is for the spiritual infants, but meat, that's for the mature. So I, want, I wanted to have the meat, not with the best motivation originally. But we all have to continue to measure us, even with that verse. Are, are we satisfied to just be preached at or whipped into shape by our discipler? Or are we saying, no, I'm not satisfied with that? I'm only satisfied if I have intimacy with God, mm -hmm. only with the relationship. Wow. You know, I heard a great sermon analogy, and he stole it from some other minister, so I don't know who to credit. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it, imagine if I had walked in here late, and I said, sorry guys, I'm late, sorry, I'm finally here to preach. Um, you know, Maddie and I were on our way here, I, I had to change a flat tire, and um, I stepped out from the car, and this huge max semi truck just came out of nowhere and hit me but I, I got up and i'm here and it's all good wow. and who would think i'm a liar if i said that 
They look a little different. They talk a little different. You can see it. I think in the same way, measuring quiet times, it's not did you have your quiet time, did you check it off the list, but you can see a difference in a person who's connected with God, who's living out the gospel and giving it power. And when we encounter Christ, it's like getting hit by that semi-truck. I love that Cheryl said broken, because I didn't even think about that aspect. Yes, I would be broken by the word. Um, you know, sometimes I even imagine, I, I was so business-based and so numbers-based, getting people into quiet times, uh, setting up that system of, hey, just submit to this. And it, you know, back to that um, Romans 8 scripture, not going back to fear, but going towards love. And I was absolutely going towards fear, towards the accountability. But I had to step back. I had to, um, you know, I, I imagine at the foot of the cross, you know, Mary and John got to witness that. They got to see Jesus' body broken. And I imagine myself trying to describe my righteousness. Yes, I, I checked off seven quiet times this week, and uh, my disciples' disciple made a disciple this week, so that's great. And, um, you know, we're, we're going up to a great church conference next week, and Imagine Mary and John or anyone who witnessed the crucifixion just looking at me and asking, do you really know him? Do you love him? Yeah. That's what I have to ask myself week after week. As I place myself before the cross right there, do I know him? Do I love him? And how do I cultivate that? How can I get in the word more so that I can have that? Now, kind of a a bonus point on the end is, yes, it's a result that we um, we gain intimacy with Christ through our quiet times, but we also get something else out of it. We we get to grow our family. Other people get to hear about our quiet times. They get to see our lives transformed by the word. Jesus says, what we give up for him, he'll add it unto us. Yeah. Giving up houses, family, he'll give more to yeah, us. Right. I, I think of him encountering the woman at the well over in John 4, and this is a this is before he calls even all the disciples. Matthew's not even around yet. This is before, a whole year and a half before Jesus even sends out the 12 or any evangelism is going on. And he meets this woman at a well and he just, he loves her. And he presents the word to her in truth. She says, wow, this is the son of God. She experiences him. And what does she do? She lays down her water pot. She goes out, she evangelizes the whole town. Nobody can stop her. She says, come check out Jesus, he's the son of God. <laughs> And, and, you know, she didn't have to be trained by anybody to do that. Uh -huh. She didn't have right. to go to a seminary school. She right. didn't have to be preached at. Yeah. She didn't have to uh, have a million quiet times and accountability partners to check off a list or anything like that. She just had to experience God and have intimacy with him. Yeah. She went out and she was fruitful. So this morning, as uh, Daniel and Stacey are going to come up and lead us in communion, um, consider that. Do we know God? Do we love God? Thanks for listening to the Bend ICOC podcast.